Green Street Joinery and the American Craftsman Podcast are proud to partner with Montana Brand Tools. Montana Brand Tools are manufactured by Rocky Mountain Twist in Montana, USA. With numerous patents dating back to the invention of the Hexshank system by our founders, we strive to produce accessories that add precision, flexibility, and efficiency to your toolkit. In addition to woodworking tools, we produce many high-quality cutting tools that are used by the aerospace, medical, automotive, and industrial markets. Our end product has a fit and finish that is beyond comparison. Montana Brand Tools are guaranteed for life to be free of defects in material and workmanship because we build these tools with pride and determination. For 10% off your order, visit MontanaBrandTools.com and use the coupon code AmericanCraftsman. All right, after severe technical difficulties, <laughs> we're live. It's been, a, it's been a stretch of that, hasn't it? Oh, yeah. In life, in the podcast. <laughs> That's it. Everything. The podcast mirrors life. Yeah, or vice versa. <laughs> So here we are. We're in the second season. This is episode nine, if I'm not mistaken. Um, actually, well, it's actually episode ten, I think, right? Oh, uh, let's see. We How's had it go? the we had the interim. Oh, that's right. That's last right. Last week was a on the road part two. So I got a plus one on all my notes here. We're on episode ten because mm-hmm. we had the mobile. Uh, before we get into uh, this episode, have a couple. Um, what do they call that at the beginning of a meeting? Disclaimer? No. <laughs> Public service a couple announcement? House, a couple housekeeping, yeah. Um, Secret <laughs> Santa 2021. I know uh, some of you participated last year, so we're doing it again this year. Um, sign-ups, I'm, I think I'm going to extend it a week. So it'll be, you have until um, basically the, uh, the beginning of, not this coming week, but, well, it's going to be, be like the first week of December. Don't don't mind me. Um, so it's a fifty dollar minimum. You're welcome to spend more if you want, but you can sign up. We'll put a link in the bot in the description, and um, you'll get paired up with someone randomly, and you you get them something for uh, Secret Santa. Yeah. You can uh, create a wish list, so you give people some ideas. But I I don't know. I think it's more fun to kind of just get something. Um, that you like, that you think is unique and cool and um, might help somebody else in the shop. Yeah. I wonder if you can, like, drop ship stuff. Oh, yeah, that's what, I think that's what most people did last year. That's what we did. Um, I was already looking, and and unfortunately, a couple of things I found that I wanted to get are gone. Was it Lee Valley? No. No, it was um, it was from KC Tool. Oh yeah, but you know, like those advent calendars mm-hmm. with the tools and stuff oh, like yeah. that. Oh, those have probably been sold out for yeah, yeah for a they're while. They're gone, and you yeah. can't back order them or anything. Well, it's too late for that anyway, because by the time they get it, the month's over. Yeah, yeah. I know. If they get it for Christmas, Advent, that's the end yeah. of Advent. Yeah. But I've been wanting to get one of those, yeah. and I was just too slow. Yeah, those are cool. Um, another thing, buddy Michael over at Calavera gave us a coupon code for all you guys, Green Street 10, G-R-E-E-N-E-S-T-R-E-E-T 10, save 10% at Calavera Tools, so get yourself an apron, a belt, yeah. a, a journal, I mean, I I got all three of those, and a wallet. Yeah, yeah. that could be a pretty substantial savings, you know, yeah. on a nice apron. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're talking about a three, $400 apron, that's 30, 40 bucks, it's a lot. Yeah. Um, so thank you, Michael, for that. You guys check him out. We'll plug Montana again. Got, uh, American Craftsman, save you 10% at Montana and American Craftsman, 10% on vesting finishes at rpmcodingsolutions.com. Yeah. The vesting is, we we really are uh, converts now, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to be using it on my kitchen. Cool. Maybe even the trim. There you go. I mean, why not? I like it. I mean, you got to put some kind of finish on. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's durable. It's repairable. It's It has a beautiful feel. It's easy to put on. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, cool. So uh, now that we got all that out of the way, I think that was, that was it. I had some notes here. Let's check them. Uh, that's it. All right. 
Well, do you know what um, what what are the uh, what are these divisions of furniture called? The twelve periods of American periods, furniture. That's the word I was looking for. You know, and all I now that we're on to our third period, and a lot of the the reference material I've been going through, they they pretty much agree on all of these. Yep. Um, and there's some overlap, and some people uh. Uh, have gone into greater detail in one group and a little less than in others. And uh, today we're on to the Pennsylvania Dutch. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of surprised that these were considered, you know, an important period in in American furniture. Yeah, I wouldn't have guessed it. Um, Definitely think of them as furniture makers, but not as really like influential Mm -hmm. furniture makers. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> it's a, it's an interesting it's an interesting uh, group. Um, so let's start. Well, it's the Pennsylvania Dutch, and we're talking about 1720 to 1830. So it's a pretty good time frame, 110 years. Yeah. So overlapping with the um, colonial. Yeah. Yeah. And it'll and I think some of the federal and some of the federal. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Federal be uh, the next. Next uh, group. So we're going to start with who, what, where, and when. Mm-hmm. That's that's what we like to do. And we have like our little background history. Right. So, you know, who are the Pennsylvania Dutch? What brought them to America? And since, you know, we, we talk about furniture, how did all that influence the furniture that they built? Mm-hmm. So uh, where do you think the Pennsylvania Dutch are from? Well, I know the answer to this question, so I won't spoil it. <laughs> Fun fact number one, the Pennsylvania Dutch are not Dutch. <laughs> <laughs> so why are they call that? Well, Dutch is sort of, uh, it doesn't mean the Netherlands. It's its from the Deutsch. Right. German. Um, and so the Pennsylvania Dutch are ancestrally German. Um, yeah, that was like a some person <laughs> made that mistake and coined them the Pennsylvania Dutch. And it's been going on yeah. for 300 years And they now. still call themselves the Pennsylvania Dutch. That's right. Or, well, I don't know if they call themselves yeah. the Pennsylvania Dutch, but people still refer to them as Pennsylvania Dutch. Yeah. Um, they, they also have Alsatian. I had to look that up. That's northern mm, France. Yeah, Alsace. And Swiss. Hmm. Basically, all these folks came from the Rhine River Valley. Right. Um, and get some nice Riesling wine. Yeah. Yeah. They, they came over with a lot of the, the same intentions that, you know, all of the early American settlers did. Um, and I, I learned so much about the Amish and the Quakers, the Mennonites. Those are the three groups mm-hmm. of, they basically Protestants. They were pacifists. And they came together here in colonial Pennsylvania. Yep. Um, and it's, you know, we know it because we live just next door in New Jersey. Yeah, a couple and, hours away. And even in New York. It's a it's a big tourist attraction oh, in yeah. a sense. So they have had some cultural impact mm-hmm. on the region. Um, so the Quakers, the Mennonites, and the Amish... Uh, they all share a background, you know, of religious persecution, and um, they wanted to sort of do their own thing, some within the confines of the Protestant religion, some a little bit outside. But they're seeing some patterns forming here. <laughs> but, the, but the Quakers are distinct from the Mennonites and the Amish. Um, the Quakers are English. Okay. Uh, so that was something I learned, you know, we, we, especially when we go to, uh, like Quaker town, Amish, uh, Pennsylvania, you know, we kind of tend to group them all together, Yeah. but, uh, they, the Quakers are English. So, um, the Mennonites, they were, their founder is Menno. Simon, his his first name was Menno, so (laughs) hence the Mennonites. Um, Dynamite. Yeah, and they they evolved from the Anabaptist movement in Holland and Germany during the Reformation. Hmm. 
as most of us know, the Reformation was, you know, where um, Martin Luther nailed the 95 theses to the door of, uh, I, I guess it was um, a church. And basically, people in the Catholic religion protesting against all of the excesses and things like right. that. And, uh, you know, guess uh, what the name of the founder of the Amish religion is? Uh, Amish. <laughs> Close. His name was Joseph Amon. <laughs> and they were very creative. <laughs> yeah. So we got Menno Simon. He starts something. The Mennonites. Yeah. Then Joseph Amon comes along, and he splits off from the Mennonites. Mm. Um, and his big thing was shunning the amish really have they're they're about the shun yes the excommunicating and blackballing shunning whatever you want to call it so the amish the mennonites they're not quakers and they are similar they have like a spiritual connection um the amish arrive in america at the invitation of the quakers huh. So the Quakers are here first. They form about 100 years before the Amish. And uh, as a result of the English Civil War. And between 1681 and 1683, William Penn, who's the, a Quaker, he establishes Pennsylvania. Well, this is a different timeline than I was expecting. Yeah. I'm thinking that the Amish came first and then the Mennonites came around afterwards. No. It, yeah. Um, like I said, I, it, it might be, I don't know. People can find history interesting <laughs> coming from an ex history teacher. <laughs> it's like, it's like being a wood nerd. You know what I mean? We talk about, wow, check out the grain and that wood and other people just sort of like, yeah, all right. Some people find it angering like that, uh, diatribe of a YouTube comment we got a couple weeks ago. <laughs> Gotta get a life. <laughs> yes, <laughs> we we should have put one more public service announcement. So so we try to inform and in some extent entertain, but we are by no means experts in all of these fields. Even yeah, no. as woodworkers, we are still students. And we we've never claimed that this is all gospel. That, no, you know, take this at one. You know, this is all one hundred percent fact. This is just the research that you know mainly Rob has yeah. uh has come across. Yeah, I try to be thorough, you know, right, go with reputable sources and again. It's um, not make my presentations as as thorough and as as well as I can. Yeah. Uh so uh you know, take it take it for what it's worth. A couple of guys sitting in the basement. Yeah, like <laughs> Well, my research showed that um actually Okay. Yeah. Where's your podcast? <laughs> we all there's always something. Yeah. There's always something to to correct. That's for sure. So yeah, that's the thing. Um, the the Quakers came first, like a hundred years before the Mennonites, and then the Amish. Hmm. Um, and this was pretty cool. I mean, I learned a little bit about William Penn, um, and the Quaker ideals, and what he called his holy experiment. He thought that all this stuff could be possible leaving Europe and coming to the New World, as it was called. Uh, and he, in 1681, he before he went to what became America, he wrote uh, to the settlers that were already there to say, and uh, uh, typically I try not to just read, but, but it's, he's, you know, a very um, literate fella, and this, this was worth reading in his own words. For you are now fixed at the mercy of no governor that comes to make his fortune great. You shall be governed by laws of your own making and live a free, and if you will, a sober and industrious life. I shall not usurp the right of any. Mm. So you could see, I mean. Nicely said. This is pre-America, yeah. and he's speaking in the language of, you know, our... The Declaration of Independence. Exactly, exactly. You know, um, I watched Natural, National Treasure the other day. <laughs> Good movie. The other thing I thought was worth noting was all the stuff that William Penn 
set out as his, his, you know, ideals, his rule book, if you will. And I kind of made me think if we would have, um, maybe embrace some of these ideas in a larger extent, how we might have made out. Um, number one was fair treatment for Native Americans. <laughs> we know, Fat we know. chance. <laughs> I don't know if that's happening yet. <laughs> yeah. Don't so, say anything, Canadians, because you guys are you guys are worse. That's right. Maybe at this point. King Charles II had given Penn all of this land, which became Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but Penn didn't even think it was the king's to give. He thought that the land uh, belonged to the to the natives. The the I'm not sure how you say the Lenape Indians. Lenape. Lenape Indians. Come on, you live in New Jersey. You gotta know that. Uh, yeah, no, I'm still I'm still not. You've got Lenape Woods. Uh... I think it's right on 36 up here. I'm still kind of a, a New Yorker, <laughs> I guess, in my mind, even though I've lived in New Jersey far longer than any other place yeah. in my life. Yeah, the Lenape were the uh, were one of the big Native American tribes in yeah. New Jersey. So Penn, even though he was granted the land, he wanted to buy the land from the Lenape at what he called a fair price. Hmm. And he signed a treaty with them in 1682. Um, no military was his number two. <laughs> you know, these were all pacifists. Yeah. Um, the Penn chose not to bring arms and soldiers with him when he went over to Pennsylvania. And this was directly in contrast to the other colonies uh, where they were constantly fighting with all the natives. Oh, yeah. So um, it, you can see he's setting up a, a spot where it, it seems obvious that the Amish and uh, the Mennonites and the Quakers before them are going to, um, you know, really find a home. He had a new approach to governance. Um, even though he was, you know, the owner of all the land, he, he could do whatever he wanted with it. Um, and this is what... The, the king, I mean, this sounds like a sweetheart deal. This is what King Charles asked of, uh, of William Penn, that William pay an annual rent of two beaver skins and 20% of any gold or silver. <laughs> I, think, I remember you telling me that. Two, just two beaver skins. Two beaver Why skin. even put that in there? How about this? No beaver skins, 20% of the gold. <laughs> I don't even think about there being a lot of beavers in Pennsylvania. No. Maybe that's why it's maybe, only two. Maybe, yeah. And, and silver and gold, I mean, we know there's really none of that, so. Yeah, I guess maybe there was. I don't know. William Penn really made out. Jeez. Um, he, so in 1682, he sets the first version of Pennsylvania's Constitution. He calls it the Great Law. And uh, in 1699... It's revised to become a charter of privileges, which remained in place until the War of Independence in 1776. Wow. Um, and in, in it, he notes freedom of religion. All could worship freely. Uh, it could be open to all religions, not only Quakers. Uh, he had what, by any means, uh, Terms could be considered an enlightened penal code. So he thought prison was, you know, a punishment and it wasn't doing its job to reform. So people in prison were taught a trade hmm. so they could be gainfully employed when they were released. Man, this guy was ahead of his time. <laughs> the death penalty was confined to murder and treason. Uh, whereas, you know, at the time, you could be killed for any, yeah. like, stealing a loaf of bread. Work for everyone was another one of his things. <laughs> this guy's a socialist. <laughs> <laughs> Occupations in agriculture, crafts, trade were made um, much more um, accessible. And Pennsylvania became known as the best poor man's country. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, education for everyone. 
What happened, Pennsylvania? You're a mess over there now. Yeah. I mean, this is in the late 1600s. All this stuff is happening in Pennsylvania. I mean, Uh, when you think of people from Pennsylvania, no offense to any (laughs) of you listening out there. (laughs) I mean, judging by just the driving and the sides of the road and everything like that and, you know, the vehicles. Just the people that you meet. Yeah. Um, they, he believed in educating girls and boys. And mm-hmm. that was, a, that was a big thing. Uh, most kids were illiterate, especially the girls. Um, you know, they were to just be wives and homemakers. So mm-hmm. why waste any time educating them? That was kind of what, you know, most felt. And he wanted it to be a practical education, you know, so that people could get jobs. What do you think is next on his uh, his list of uh, um, a chicken in every pot? Almost. <laughs> All men were to be given the vote. Hmm. He didn't he didn't extend it to women at that point, but uh, you know, back then you had own property to vote. Yeah, it only took only took another two hundred twenty <laughs> years. <Yeah. laughs> Town planning for healthy living. I, You know, I don't know that much about Philadelphia, but he designed Philadelphia on a grid pattern with squares and parks yeah. and things like that. And that was because, um, I mean, I've mentioned it in the past, but, you know, I'm a big Charles Dickens fan. And he came from London and there was all the, you know, the the mess that happened during the Industrial Revolution and the plagues and all the fires so uh, he had a huge overarching plan for Pennsylvania. Yeah, wow. Um, and, I mean, some of it's relevant to uh, the type of furniture that would eventually come from these communities, but most of it not. It's just, a, you know, a little bit of foundational knowledge. Yeah. Um, so... To wrap that up, uh, Penn, he only spent four years in Pennsylvania, um, but he did a lot. A great deal of Penn's thinking about governance can be seen in our later constitutional documents. Where do you go after Pennsylvania? Uh, I don't have that. That's a great question. We could look that up. He just slipped into... He slipped into darkness. He was kind of usurped, I mean, in... Our American history and our written history. I mean, yeah, Pennsylvania, Philadelphia was, there were a lot of heavy hitters gunning for power there. Right. I'm sure it was, I mean, it was our first capital. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so people like Thomas Jefferson and Hamilton and those guys, they, they kind of uh, stole his thunder, I suppose. Yeah. But uh, Jefferson did call Penn the greatest lawgiver the world had ever seen. Well. Um, and you could see his legacy is pretty uh, considerable. Mm-hmm. Um, now, before we get into furniture, I'm going to give you a, a quick Amish quiz. <laughs> you in the back, wake up. It's quiz time. <laughs> Can the modern-day Amish use power tools? Uh, Yes. Oh, good one. Yes. The the Amish do not reject all technology. Rather, they use technology selectively and consider the tools that will serve their community rather than make a negative impact on their culture. Um, I did learn that they use a lot of pneumatic tools, mm-hmm. um, work off generators and things like that, battery power. It's the whole thing about be con- being connected to the grid. Yeah, as if, like, you know, a combustion engine is any different than... Yeah, you, you know, you can... It, you there's... mean they're hypocrites like everybody else? <laughs> yes, I was going to use that word. Yeah. You can start to see there, there is some, you know, hypocritical thought going on there. Yeah, it's, you know, self-preservation. It is 2021, and yeah. you got to make some... some uh, Concessions? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you're going to find the Amish quite an attractive group, so you might want to uh, consider this next question. Can an outsider marry into an Amish family? 
Probably not. You're, you're two for two. An outsider can become Amish through conversion and convincement, convincement. though it's rare. <laughs> One would need to live amongst the Amish, adopting the austere lifestyle and demonstrate a genuine conversion to the faith. That's a tall order. It is a tall order. I don't know. All the good cooking and might not be so bad. You remember when George Costanza converted? <laughs> not to Amish. <laughs> no. You know why? Do you remember the reason he gave? No. He liked the hats. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. How about that, that uh, clip I sent you from? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, what's that, that show? Curb, Curb Your Enthusiasm. enthusiasm. <laughs> oh, oh my God. <laughs> that was hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> oh, yeah. Number three. Do the Amish use cars? Yeah, some of them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've worked with Amish yeah. people. While they don't operate cars, they're permitted to ride as passengers. Mm. And we will find that um, all Amish are not the same. No, there's definitely some Amish that yeah. drive cars. Yeah. Oh, that's question number six. Uh, number four. You're, you're going three for three, you know. Oh, number four is not even a question. It, what kind of quiz is this? I, I, I wrote it as a statement, so maybe let me rephrase it. Are, the, are Amish numbers in decline, or are they increasing? Is their population increasing or declining? Um, take a shot in the dark and say it's increasing. <clears throat> four for four. They're, they're ramping up production. They are ramping up production, yes. And listen, women folk. Start popping these babies out. Well, that's the thing. They they stress having large families. Mm -hmm. The census in 1920 shows about uh, 5,000 Amish. Hmm. 300,000. 5,000, that's it? Yeah. Wow. 300,000 today. Could that just be a symptom uh, of a bad census? Maybe. But it says here the census of 1984... Only counted 84,000 Amish. Well, 5,000? Yeah. I find that hard to believe. Well, you know, and they use the kids for labor and stuff like that. Aside from, if, I, don't, I don't know about their belief of contraceptives. Maybe they didn't want to be counted uh, possible. in the 20s. It's possible. Um, here's, here's, this could be a trick question for number five. Do the Amish use Velcro instead of buttons? No. <laughs> they definitely have buttons. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> that was a trick question. No, the Amish will use neither buttons nor Velcro. What? <laughs> Preferring hook and eye or pins to fasten clothing. What do they got against the button? I think they think the button is a little bit too uppity. Wow. You know, it'd be a, a sense of showiness to have a button. I feel like a hook and an eye is more uppity than a button. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, so that's uh, you still got four out of five. That's 80%. Number six, are all Amish the same? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> that's right. There's... You know, that I think I did get that question right. Because you said, right. do they use Velcro instead of buttons? Yeah. All right. We're going to give you credit on that. Partial credit. There are around 40 subgroups. And wow. each group, that's a lot. You got uh, the bowl cut Amish. Well, yeah, you got your hardcores. And then you got your, you know, what are they? Uh, I can't remember what they're called. Um but, you know, like almost any religious group, you got your strict adherents, and then you your got your sons who are like, yeah, your laissez-faire's. See, I always thought the Mennonites were like were like lazy Amish. Not lazy, <laughs> but you know what I yeah, mean. Like you know casual I mean. Amish. 
that, but it's a whole another group all together. Yeah, it yeah. is. It is. Yeah, I thought they were like the. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The more secular. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, um, and we're going to end this little uh, tour through Amish history and and Quaker Mennonite history with a couple of uh, fun fact contributions made to our American culture by the Pennsylvania Dutch. Mm. The Christmas tree. Wow. And the Easter rabbit. Wow. According to my research, both find their roots. You're going to get some comments? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm certain, I'm certain people are going to write in. <laughs> my research shows that the Christmas tree actually originated. <laughs> Listen, this is what I found. Um, <clears throat> that the, the tradition of having a Christmas tree... And uh, the Easter rabbit, both uh, are come out of the Pennsylvania Dutch communities. Well, now I don't know. None of those originate in Germany. It could be, you know, yeah. um, because to this day, I mean, they're they're German. They speak German. They yeah. keep the language alive. They speak that uh, a certain dialect that mm -hmm. the Pennsylvania Dutch dialect, um, and they are proudly German in in that respect. Um, so it could be that it, it stems from earlier back in Germany. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, cause if you think about it, like we're talking about the early 1700s when they start settling. And the only thing I could think of is like, again, Dickens, like stories like a Christmas Carol and things like that. They had Christmas trees. This, that's mm -hmm. also around the 1700s at the later on in the 1800s when mm -hmm. those stories were set. It wasn't that the Industrial Revolution? <clears throat> yeah. So, so that's like late 1800s. Yeah. So it could be. Could be. Um, so the, ne the next section we got here is the Pennsylvania Dutch and their furniture, including some Quaker uh, and what they just termed Pennsylvania furniture. Hmm. Um, the, the German t chest. It's really architectural. I um, oh, you have are there links to pictures? In yeah, there we no? have some okay. links. Let me uh, oh, <coughs> open it up. Um, what I remember of it is, and here comes that word. Let's see. Am I? Uh, let me see if I get the screen connected. It reminds me of sort of that Jacobean kind of look. You know. Very big, heavy, some carvings, um, and and what they call architectural in appearance. And while we settle in uh, and try and resolve some of these uh, technical things, I'll ask uh, you as well as uh, the listeners that may be out there, Knowing what we do about the Amish, and and it's part of the reason why I laid the the framework of this. I'm gonna ask you, what do you think their furniture is gonna look like? I I guess it's sort of a rhetorical question because we kind of all know. Huh. Seems like this uh, monitor's on, but. But we got no juice. Yeah. <clears throat> That's weird. Well, anyway. Yeah, we'll work it out in the next episode. Yeah, I mean, I'd say that it's probably going to be kind of uh, sparse looking, though. Yeah, yeah. Um, function over form, definitely. What page are we on here? Uh, we're on page four? Uh, four. Okay, there we go. German chest. Oh, wow, that's... Uh, <laughs> right? <laughs> that's not as plain as I thought it would be. <clears throat> wow. Well, see, that's that's not Amish. Oh, okay. That's where they... This is where they start. Like, all the Germans that come over, this is this is their roots. These are the, the tradesmen, and this is what they're building in Germany. Mm-hmm. Um, and you could see it's... Look at that. It's a Newport shell. Right, right. 
I mean, acanthus leaves. Uh, you could see the classical details there. These little blacksmith handles. Mm-hmm. It's really a beautiful piece. I mean, yeah. obviously, if they're going to, you All know. these brackets and finials. Yeah. So this the is. Pediments over these yeah. doors. Wow. Yeah, you can see there's inlay. There's everything. Yeah. Veneer work. So these guys were, were very highly skilled when they got here. Earl. Amazing. Um, but immersion into their, their new community and new life, you know, it's like it's kind of like us. We'd build what if we got to build whatever we wanted, it'd be different than what we built for pay. Right. You know, not in every instance, but um like uh we only get so much uh artistic <clears throat> liberty. Right. And that's kind of what happens to the uh Amish craftsmen as they're beginning. The the Amish, the Quakers, the Mennonites, they're not looking for a big chest like that. Right. That's that's going to go Cut, uh, I hate to use the, um, I won't even use that cliche. Uh, it's going to go against the grain. <laughs> but, you know, it's not going to fit into right. their new lifestyle. Um, but their the new aesthetic that they develop does have some long-lasting um, and pronounced impact on, on furniture going forward as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's mostly in the discovery. It will I put in quotation marks of folk art in the 1920s, hmm. where um, the Pennsylvania Dutch furniture starts to have some renown outside right. the area. Um, up until then, it was not really considered um, collectible or wanted by anybody who wasn't part of that community mm-hmm. and in their community they it was just it was vernacular f- furniture it was yeah just stuff that you made yeah you, you needed, needed a chair it. to sit on you made a chair you needed right. a place to put your clothes you made a chest mm-hmm. um they it, in fact it went against everything they were taught to make something ostentatious right um yeah, I mean, and when you're living this agrarian lifestyle, you're too that's busy right. working <laughs> These, to make some kind right. of crazy piece of furniture. They're, they're all farmer. I mean, they're yes. all farmers. Everybody's what, a farmer. Yeah, um, there was a lot of work to be done, and <clears throat> and building furniture wasn't high on the list of, at least not, you know, building showy furniture. Right back in in this time in colonial uh, America, colonial Pennsylvania. There isn't, at least I have, I didn't see a pronounced one, merchant class in these communities. Mm-hmm. Everybody was engaged in farming. It was an equal playing field. Yes. It wasn't like us where we're the people that we're making furniture for, for the most part, are better off than we are. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You can leave, you can leave out for we're the not making. Part. We're not working for people in the same tax bracket as us. <laughs> no. Or even the one above us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As we've said many times, we can't afford our own work. No. <laughs> we ha- but but like the Amish, we pitch in to get things done. Yeah. You know, when we have to like when we had to build the deck and everything we'll like raise that. Raise a barn if we have to. We we well, we built the deck. Mm-hmm. We're gonna build your kitchen. You yeah. know, we're, it's gonna be an all all hands on deck moment. Yeah. And we do it. Um so I got some characteristics uh, for the Pennsylvania Dutch, uh, though they don't avoid them completely. Uh, mechanical fasteners are kind of minimum, hmm. minimal. Uh, I'm trying to remember when we went out there, when we were in that uh, shop, when we were looking at the Amish furniture at the Shady Maple Smorgasbord. Yeah, like the backs and everything like that. Pocket they, holes. There were pocket holes. Yeah, castle pocket holes, too. Yeah. Um, yeah. But dovetails, mortise and tenons, mm-hmm. they're, they're the two biggies for them. That was like, you know, that was cheap Amish um, furniture. Yeah. 
I mean, there was still some some pretty nice oh, yeah. examples there. We were amazed at the prices. So. That, yeah, that one table, <clears throat> yeah. maple and walnut, like two thousand dollars. Which I think it had chairs too. <laughs> yeah, I know. We like, left wow. there. We left there stunned. Yeah. That, but that's ch- child labor there. Yeah, that's like a, <laughs> yeah. Jebediah, go make the table. <laughs> right. Um, and I mean, a lot of these things we can surmise, like. You know, what do you think are the woods that they use? Cherry, oak, maple, yeah. beach. What it, whatever's growing nearby, yeah, that's their thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did find that there were a couple of uh, pieces that had uh, mahogany hmm. in them and some built from mahogany, but they were special pieces. Right. Um, yeah, like... You know, let's say there was a um, a big event or, you know, somebody could... Every now and again, the Amish would commission a piece from somebody, who also another Amish mm-hmm. maker, you know, for a wedding, a dowry chest or something like that. Hmm. Um, so here's what we got so far. We have their... Um, they prefer, you know... Joinery as opposed to mechanical fasteners. It's definitely function over form. Native hardwoods. Timeless, straightforward design. Yeah. Um, I think very flat. Right. Um, I, I ask, were the Amish trying to make a design statement with their work? Uh, no, I think it's uh, the opposite. Yeah. Um, they were trying to not make a statement, and maybe in turn they did make a statement, but. Very perceptive, Jeffrey. Very. <laughs> per- <laughs> that, But that's it. You know, they're, they're not trying to step over the line. Yeah. But in doing so, they're reinforcing. Right. They're making a statement about their ideals. Right. By right. not making a statement. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You must have really done well in school. I didn't. That's the thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that goes back to how our education system is it's flawed. Yeah, because you could see um, your innate uh, um, aptitude for all this stuff because you haven't he- read or heard any of this. You're just, you know, I'm just along for a ride. Yeah, you're, you're listening along and commenting, but you could see you already know this stuff. Maybe I'm secretly Amish. <clears throat> it could be. Um, right. Everything they did was a reflection of their lifestyle. You know, they they don't they don't do anything that doesn't reinforce their belief system. Yeah. Another thing, and again, I we got a, quite a bit in common with these ideals. They wanted stuff to last for generations. Mm-hmm. Um Thrift is a is a big thing. I mean, being wasteful is sinful. Yeah, and it's hard work. So you have all the they had all this work to do. So why are you gonna you're gonna phone it in on this and have to do more work? <laughs> right. These you are know, all things that make sense to us still. Yeah, anything worth doing is worth doing right. Yeah. So I mean this sounds like us. Material selection, joinery, it's all considered. Um, no shortcuts, especially if it led to a shortened lifespan or a low quality piece of work. Yeah. Um, I mean, we really have a lot in common going, except for the, the form over function. You know, we really try and marry those two things. Yeah. Um, we're much more influenced by the design aesthetics. Mm-hmm. But, but definitely a, uh, a simple Design aesthetic. Yeah. You know, yeah. We tend to go for something, you know, understated. Uh, graceful, yeah. sure. Proportions, um, all those things. Uh, less flourishes. Mm-hmm. But native hardwoods, timeless design, the intention to build for, you know, lasting uh, well beyond our lifetime, avoiding shortcuts. Joinery. I mean, we could be Amish. Yeah, it doesn't sound too bad. <laughs> so, 
Uh, today, they're still known for their wide use of hand tools. Um, and, I mean, back then, they basically built stuff just the way everybody else did because there wasn't any power. Right. Uh, cities didn't become electrified till like, the 20s, the mm-hmm. 1920s. So everybody was on a, on the same page. And it, it's funny to think about, like, what the Amish were doing because last segment we were sort of getting into the the Chippendale and everything and mm-hmm. it was the the road the Newport school yeah that mercantile class people who are now buying these ornate pieces of furniture mm-hmm. where people are you know spending a lot of time building a piece of furniture yeah uh, from mahogany brought in from South America <laughs> that's right so that's all I got on the 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 first section of who, what, when, and where. We got, you know, I think we pretty much covered who they were, mm-hmm. when. We're talking about the early 1700s to the early 1800s, where, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Um, and. The what, yeah, why? Why? they needed furniture. Yeah. They were uh, making it for themselves, not as a, wasn't so much a profession as it was a. Just a necessity. Right. I, I mean, I don't know this for a fact, uh, you know, in 100% certainty, but you could pretty much say that none of the furniture that was built left that community for 100 years. Yeah, probably not. Um, in, the, in the early 1920s, that's when, again, and you could start seeing it's, that's, the sort of the wealthy class, mm-hmm. people with time on their hands, and uh, they go, "Hey, this is cool. Look mm-hmm. at look at this f- thing, and we're going to call it folk art." Yeah, I think of like uh, antiques roadshow, and you can mm-hmm. picture. You know, we'll get into obviously the more the aesthetic and the techniques and stuff and like finishes, but I can picture you know a milk painted Pennsylvania Dutch flat, and the, talking about you know. Folk, these folk pieces, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, in the in the last episode of this series, there's a couple of um, links with pictures that really kind of encapsulate that look, mm-hmm. that that painted piece, and th- and that's you know what we'll get into when we start talking in more in depth about the furniture that they created um, and the the characteristics of it. Yeah, the fretwork and stuff. The, think of the like. Red, blue, green. Mm-hmm. Yeah, red was a biggie. Even black. Yeah. Um. So, did we? Uh, did we fill our time? We got. Did we. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I like to. You know. I don't like to. Um. Cut the lesson short. I don't want to shortchange anybody. Uh. You know. Any questions out there in the audience? Yeah. Write them <laughs> in. Leave them in the. Uh, in the comments. Yeah. You. You could leave them. I mean, since we're sort of caught up like this is going to be put out this coming friday right yeah um i guess uh we could always go back you know and answer questions oh yeah yeah um and re- you know sort of like you know like when the tv show has a part two and they mm-hmm. like show what happened in part one we could always refresh it before we answer it and question. you know the Instagram is open. You want to send a question, and uh, we'll answer. We can answer it right there for you if it's oh, not yeah. something that you, you know, that that needs you airing. Want us to visit. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, we answer every message that we get. So. Yeah, that's true. Unless you're a, from a bot, <laughs> I don't answer those. <laughs> Blocked. Um. Well, I really enjoyed researching the uh, the Pennsylvania Dutch. I had a. It wasn't easy. It's interesting um, because they're they're kind of a private group, mm-hmm. and I mean, I spent a you know because it was when I was doing it mostly in the shop. Mm-hmm. I spent a lot of time trying to dig up information on these yeah. people because you have the generic stuff right off the top. Yeah, which everybody is like, knows. Yeah, yeah. But I was trying to get some some nuggets, mm-hmm. some meat <laughs> and potatoes. So we're going to say goodbye for this episode. Yeah. Um, uh, well, hope you had a good Thanksgiving yesterday. Oh, yeah. This will be coming out on Black Friday. Oh, Hopefully man. Hopefully you're not out, you know, 
find some of that cheap crap that they sell on Black, on Black Friday. Yeah, the antithesis of uh, the Amish yeah. ethics. Take a cue from the Amish. That's right. We could all take a, a cue from the Amish when it comes to some things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, and William Penn. Yeah. Very, very uh, influential character. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't know that much about him. Yeah, me neither. Well, well, at that, I guess uh, we'll see you next week. Uh, don't forget, Green Street 10, Calavera, American Craftsman, for 10% off at Montana, and uh, Vesting Finishes, RPMCodingSolutions.com, and Secret Santa, sign up. Um, yeah, that's all I got. Yeah, I better get my order in early, I mean, with everything yeah. running out. Yeah. Although they say that the uh, the ports are moving again. Oh. Huh. Yeah, well, they said that they're going to put a $100 tax per day on every container that doesn't move. Hmm. Magically, they started moving. I tell you, man, it, the, the whole thing is rigged. Yeah. <laughs> You're telling me that capitalism... <laughs> Doesn't always just work in favor of the uh, consumer. A manufactured oh. supply and demand. Oh man, issue. yeah, it's like the the price of gas. Yeah, well, that's OPEC. <laughs> but I mean, it's 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 manipulated. Yeah, oh, yeah. You know, it's um, it's not a natural supply and demand thing. Yeah. Anyway, before we get too yeah. far off topic, we'll uh, we'll see you guys next week. Before we start alienating people. For episode 11. <laughs>